Hello and welcome to the show. Yeah, we're talking Pet Chat and a huge welcome to Dr. Paul McCarthy. It feels Hello, like Sarah. only yesterday you were here. I know. I'm pleased to be back. New year. Uh, new things to talk about. You're looking refreshed Thank and you. excited. Daniel Carrington, hello to you. Good afternoon. You're back to talk pets with us as well. I am. How's your heart holding up? I know your twins <laughs> have started school this year, so no doubt you're I a know. mess. <laughs> it's one extreme to the other, isn't it? Oh, it certainly is. It, it's a but world of fun. It's wonderful that they're loving it. They're oh. loving their school, so that's great. Now, what are we t- chatting about today in terms of pets? Well, look, we always talk about dogs. Dogs, uh, cats, so I thought I'll spice it up. And we're going to talk about... Rabbits. <laughs> Good guess, but no. Chickens. Ah. Chickens. You know the backyard chook that lays us the egg? Yes, of yeah, we We're going to yes, talk uh, about them. We're going to talk about them oh, and what right. you need to do, especially because it's been so hot. Yeah, that's a then good Then all call. this rain and the humidity is like, yeah, what are the... The things you need to do for your home chooks. Hello, Kate. Have you got a question for Paul today about your dog? Um, I have uh, three Border Collies. I have an 11-year-old, a 1-year-old and a 15-week-old. My 1-year-old boy is starting to stalk the other two to a point that he will stalk them into a corner and then attack them. Yeah, okay. Um, What um, age did you get the 1-year-old from? Uh, Eight weeks old. Okay, and the behaviour from when you first collected the puppy, was there any um, challenges between himself and the older dog at that time? Um, not usually. He was trying to dominate her. Um, yeah. But he was a very agitated puppy. Like, he was always on the go, always, like, barking and that. We've been to obedience school and puppy training. Um, but, yeah, he's, he's not so much doing it to the older dog. Um, it's more the younger one, but he will try and take whatever toy Lacey has, which is the older one, he will want, so he'll go and take it. If she's got food, he will take his, her food yeah. to where he is and sit there and eat it. So what what happened, Katie, even from arrival, that the barking and the crazy behaviour was already letting you know that that little man has sadly got an anxiety situation happening um, and now what's happening is that he's unaware that his... Well, sorry... His belief is that the amount of territory he may have is is fading. Um, we've got multiple dogs. There's competition for resources. And so if there is competition for resources and you're already anxious, what that will then happen is that you have to try and turn defence into offence. So rather than just sort of try and guard things now, now I have to actually keep you away from things so that I can make sure I get the right amount of resources for myself, whether that be food or attention or, or care. Um, very, very important that you have a chat to your veterinarian about your dog. The, the, the male's at an age now where um, social maturity is kicking in. And so behaviours that have previously been accepted by the other dogs um, may start to stop being accepted. And so you may see aggression as a retaliation from the other two dogs. The second thing about it is that you can make a difference at a dog's, in a dog's personality at this age. After you get beyond the two and plus, it is very difficult to try and reverse some of those behaviours that have been instituted because they sort of become a bit hardwired. So um, this will be one-on-one training you will need in that what he needs to learn is that he's actually safe 
and that there's no need to be um, defensive in his home and protective against the other two dogs. So you're, you mentioned earlier about him trying to be dominant over the other dog. It's actually more about a bluff. What he's actually trying to say is, I don't want to be top dog. I just want to be safe. And so what's happening now is that need for safety is being pushed so hard for him with the third dog coming in that he's having to keep these barriers up around the other two dogs. Um, I, I can't stress enough the point that he, he will need help because the situation you may have is a stone's throw away from these guys getting a, a, a bite and if the bite starts occurring in a social group then the challenge will be that all three dogs will then be developing anxiety conditions about the rest of your social group. Yeah, because that's what he's like. He's at the point with the little one. He will stalk her into a corner. Yeah, this is then, a, not then, a good scenario, Kat. I, I, I really suggest this is a, um, probably longer than we had to talk about today, but, but, but really important in that you've got three working dogs, and so working dogs have a very different mind state to lots of sort of suburban dogs. And yeah. so you're working with a dog whose prime motivation is to achieve a goal, to achieve a task. And at the moment, that task is to stay safe. And eventually that may be the stage, but the only way I feel I can stay is to hurt the other dogs. So this is a really important time for you to get this this work being done. So, so I should look after it, get a behavioralist or somebody a like absolutely, that? Absolutely, Kate. This, this is, this is a, I, I don't want to sort of over stress this but you've got the situation that this the younger dog will start to learn the behaviors of the of the yeah. aggressive dog and that there'll be a situation that if if you get three dog dogs in a dog fight uh, lives can be lost in those scenarios so it, it's really yeah. important you, you act on that as soon as you can because his age now is going to start playing a role against you and good on you for being on the ball, Kate, and um, asking <laughs> the question and getting yeah, on top absolutely. of it now. So good luck with it. We hope that someone can come in and, and yeah, do Yeah, there's some lots of good people out there, Kate. You know, do your Googling, but there's there's some really good people out there to help you in these scenarios, and, and it needs to be sort of one-on-one -on -one stuff, and he needs to have his training away from the other two dogs as well because your yep. young dog needs to learn safety at home because currently your young dog will start feeling threatened. All right. Yeah. I always... All right. Sorry, Kate. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay, let's go to Kath now. Kath, uh, you've got a question about your dog. Welcome back. We scared you off before. No, that's all right. No, I just kept dropping off the line. <sighs> uh, yeah, no, I've got I've got a little two-year-old, Foxy, and she seems to be absolutely petrified of little kids. Like, I've got three little great-granddaughters, and, uh, and it's bordering on aggression sometimes, and I'm just wondering how I can solve the problem. I've, I've sat them down with me with the dog, with treats and she's okay then, like sort of. Uh, but when that's over with and she they, she turns the corner and they're there, she's just terrified, takes off or then comes back with a, a bristle all raised and she's uh, it's a bit scary and I'm wondering how I can go about getting rid of this, you know. Okay, so, so the first thing you need to do is remembering that you've got a small dog who's being um, visited in on, on, on the dog's turf mm. by... Uh, humans who don't do the same body language that other dogs do. Mm. And so you've got a dog who doesn't really know how to read what the children are trying to say to him. Mm. So what happens in those circumstances, In when you're little, you've got two things you can try and do. Mm. The first is run away. The, the third is try and bluff the, the children away. Yeah, and, and, exactly and human, humans really yeah. misinterpret mm. the bluff. Mm. Um, so 
what what you what ideally want to do is, is um, have the dog in a place that they feels it feels safest. So ideally on a mat on a, on a floor, but where the dog likes to be. Have a whole bag of treats ready with you. The children come in, and from the distance they are away from the dog, while the dog's still looking relaxed, they stay there. So mm-hmm. every animal has what's called a startle distance, which is the distance in which you feel safe around you, and if something goes into that space, you either have to run away or fight your way out of it. Mm. So you want to try and find out what that distance is. And it could be several metres, it could be a whole room away. Mm. And so the children then are being allowed to do what they normally do, whether it be play or eat or read a book, and the dog just is allowed to watch them. Because what the dog needs to learn is that the behaviour that they're showing, which could be arms waving and lots of big voices and and noises uh, that he sees as threatening, are actually just normal child behaviours. And that's very difficult for a dog if they haven't had that all their life. They don't really have to be doing anything. They'll be just sitting in the yard and and she'll spot them and then she'll go, oh, God, there's... Because previously they've scared him. It's not... It's not sort of like 10 and 11-year-old. It's just the littlies, you know, and that's what the worry is with me. Yeah, the reason being is that little children don't show normal body language. Yeah, right. So as we mature, we learn from our social conditioning what's appropriate behaviour. So our shoulders take a different position, our face takes a different position. We don't scream and wave our arms around. We don't run. We don't have mood swings like small children do. And so for dogs in particular who are watching body language as their primary language um, modality... It's really challenging for dogs to understand what a child's screaming is about or even what a child sitting down is doing because often they're not able to control their body language in a way that makes them look safe. As it is for the parents. Very a- a- confusing. Absolutely. <laughs> Kids absolutely, are crazy. Sarah, they are. And, and, and that's why lots of people get confused about children. Um, and so really what the dog needs to do is learn that it's safe. Um, and, so, and that's not something that you can rush. That needs to be taken with time and delicacy so that at all time your dog's feeling really safe about the environment and if that means the children need to be in separate rooms than your dog, it's important your dog has that safety because you're 100% correct. If push comes to shove and his fear reaches a level that he doesn't feel there's any other option, he may try to buy it. Okay. Yeah. Thank you okay. very much, no, Kath. for that. Thank you very much. We appreciate the call. Uh, we're going to go to Leanne now from Charlestown. You've got a question about your cat. Yes, I have. Hello. Um, I have an eight-year-old ginger male dyslex cat. Um, I moved house eight months ago, and I know what the problem is. He's obviously frustrated because he's no longer an outside cat. He's been kept inside now because mm-hmm. um, I just don't want him to stray or get hurt. Sure. Um, but he's not liking it, and he starts to bite me. I, I can pat him twice or 22 times and then all of a sudden he'll just bite me. Sometimes he'll bite me when I'm not patting him. He'll yeah. jump up on the bed and bite me and it's not a scratch, it's bite. Yeah. Um, and I've got a lot of scars on my arms the last few months. Sure. So you're, you're correct. So so what's happened is the situation, the change of situation has given your cat a, a, a fearful experience and so because of that what's happening now is that the the situation is unpredictable. And therefore, the behaviours that are being demonstrated by your cat is a cat who's confused. So the most important thing is to try and keep routines the same. Um, Try and feed them in the same bowl, in the same area. Try and keep your attention times to your cat at the same time. And it could be for the next few weeks to months, it may be that we're having no contact 
policy. If if he seeks out attention from you, if he wants to have you pat his his head, do so, but yeah. don't actively do it without the cat engaging the behaviour. And okay. watch what your cat's tail and ears are doing while you're patting. If okay. at any stage the tail starts to quiver, stop uh-huh. patting your cat, get okay. up and walk away. Because what, what's happening is that that quiver is already telling you that we, we may have had a tactile overdose and, yep. and therefore I'm not really sure if I want any more of that. And most cats will act on that with a bite behaviour. So watch what the tail's doing. The second thing is that the ears will be going towards pointing backwards when we start to get a bit agitated. Mm. The other indicator is to take your hands away and better still yourself as well. Um, what you can often do to help cats rehabilitate to a new environment, there's... Um, it's called Feliway. It's a yes, pheromone diffuser you plug into your wall um, or you can actually get the spray to put on different lounges and things to make the house smell better. Um, but the most important really is to try and keep your routines so similar that everything that used to happen in the old house is happening in the new house. Provide lots of environmental enrichment so there's more games for your cat to play because we're not getting that burnt up energy used outside. So chasing feathers or toys, remembering that there's lots of stimulus outside that we're not getting inside. So you've got to make up for that for cats. Some great advice there, Dr Paul. James Carrington, Jim, hello, you're on the phone. You're our expert today. You're talking about chickens. That's right, cockadoodle-doo. How are you? <laughs> we thought we'd talk to you because, um, look, the backyard chook, lots of us have got them, but with all the hot weather, the drought, and now the rain that's come, the humidity that's come, there could be some problems. What do we need to do to check our chooks over, check our coop, make sure everything is is, is right for them, the mm. right environment. We've got happy hens. And we've got happy hens that'll keep laying. So is that a good topic or what? That's a good topic and we all love a good egg, don't we? Oh, yes. don't, it must be relevant because we've had David from reception ask us about 50 million questions about his chickens <laughs> in the break. Which we were answering in the break, weren't we? We're trying. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so um, what should we look out for, Jim? Look, it has been very dry and very hot. Hopefully the hottest days have gone now. But um, like all animals and birds, it's really important to try to keep them as cool and comfortable as you can during the hot weather. Um, Mites uh, can be a bit of a problem at this time of the year, so we need to watch for mites. If, If your chickens can get out and they can find a nice dusty pothole in the garden somewhere. They'll love to get in there. And what they're doing is you'll see them scratching all the dust up under their feathers. And this tends to be a natural way of of keeping some control on the mites. Um, One of the things that for most good pet stores, you can usually get dusting powders that will will have um, some products in them that will get on top of the mites. We're four weeks off um, the beginning of autumn, although the season seems to have shifted a little bit at the moment, but always worm your chickens at the change of each season. Um, And this is important. Anyone that keeps dogs should be aware that some of the worms that chickens can get are the same worms that your dogs can get. And in some instances, probably even some of the same worms that you can you can get in your own tummy. So it, it is important every three months, if you've got dogs uh, and you've got chickens, to worm them out. Uh, and so that I remember, I always say to people, do it at the change of season. The beginning of autumn, beginning of winter, beginning of spring, beginning of summer. How do people check their chook for mites and lice? What do they look for? And then how do they treat them with the powders? 
Okay. Well, what I do is pick them up, have a look. Usually if you spread the wings so you can hold them by the legs, um, have a look under the wings. You'll see uh, things like light are long, almost, well, I say long. They may be two or three, four, four mil long, but they're kind of like a really tiny caterpillar. Mm. And you'll uh-huh. see those crawling on the, the flights of the wing. Mites, uh, if you have a look around the belly area, even under the wings, mm-hmm. where the feathers are different, uh, you will find like a little tiny, in some, some cases, it's like a little red ball, pinhead. And they'll have a little bit like a tiny, tiny tick, but they're not ticks. And they'll be crawling around. And they often, they irritate the chickens because they're like, like a mosquito, a tiny little mosquito that's sucking their blood. Um, so they're the main two kinds of insects that, that birds will have. Do you treat them differently, lice and mites, or is it the same medication? Same product, same product. And again, as I said before, don't forget if you've got a nice dust bowl, like the chickens can often get on top of those sorts of things themselves. And I, they just up. and I know that, um, like there's forecast, a lot of rain coming, which is going to change the situation again and bring more humidity, more light, uh, lice and mites. But also... Um, what, what else should we be careful with chickens, especially when there's, there's, there's all this rain coming? Look, there are um, things like coccidiosis can be a problem when if you keep a few hens in, in a fairly uh, tight cage, um, obviously they're doing poos every day in, in that pen. If they have any gastrointestinal issues with worms and, and um those sorts of things. Coccidiosis is a problem. Um, and you can, again, either from the vet or from your local pet store, you can get a coccidiostat that you put in their water and that will keep on, on top of that little parasite. Mm. And little little chickens, baby chickens, are particularly prone on that too, actually, Sarah. Yeah. So, yes. Um, so going into the um, season, do we, do we foresee any time soon that they may go off the lay? Is that a seasonal thing or what happens with that? We're right on the edge. Yes, it is. Um, it's, it's that time of the year when the chickens will be using the warm weather that we've still got ahead of us to get a new coat for winter. So they'll start dropping their feathers. You might go in and feed them in the morning or the afternoon and see, oh, there's a few, few more feathers in here today. What's going on? It's a natural thing. All the birds, even the outdoor birds, now are going to use the end of summer to get a new coat of feathers. So they'll be dropping their feathers. Um, and incidentally, Sarah did ask me earlier about a problem with pe- feather picking yeah. by chickens. And what happens is it's a really often happens in with cage birds, like commercially caged mm. birds, when they're in very close proximity to each other, when they're getting their new feather, it comes out like a little spear that's full of blood. And one of the chickens will go, oh, what's that funny thing for me on the chicken next to his back? will peck the feather, break the blood um, vessel that's surrounding the new feather coming out, and it's like giving a child a candy pop. It is oh. because chickens have a, a, an affinity with the colour red, oh. which is the blood, and also colour green. And that's why when you've got chicken feeders and waterers, they have a base that's red or green. Okay, so that's an attractant I didn't know term. that. So yeah. if they start 
obviously plucking the other chickens, that can cause issues as, yeah, as well. Yeah, if they continue to see blood and the yeah. stuff coming, yeah, that can cause. Oh, so but complex, then, our chickens. As we discussed as well, it can be behavioural and it can be also to do with mites and lice. Okay. So <laughs> lots of things to think of. So be, be, be checking them and be, be keeping up to date with their behaviour and what's happening. So They're a complicated yeah. creature. They are. <laughs> it's no, birds not, in general, isn't it? They're not complicated. They're not complicated. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, Jim, thank you so much. You've given us a lot of um, a lot of thoughts and some tips today, and I know a lot of people do have chickens. So, um, yeah, some good advice to, to keep on top of if you are chicken owners. Um, we'll chat again another time. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Jim, uh, Dr. Paul McCarthy, we did have a question from a listener. She's at work, so she can't talk on air, but she can listen. She's got a two-year-old child and would like to get a Kelpie cross. She wants to know if that's a good choice and should she get an older dog or a pup that can grow with her little one? Okay, so breed type is a really important discussion and certainly a Kelpie cross is a dog who would be best on a very large property who has sheep. Um, They're lovely, lovely dogs. They're really busy dogs. They need a lot of intelligent games. They need a lot of um, stimuli to keep them from becoming bored. They're very active dogs. a two-year-old child isn't isn't an issue for a Kelpie cross. It's not necessarily the age of a child. It's literally about what they wish to gain from the breed type you choose. So whenever I have a client asking about what's the right breed, the normal questions I ask is, what goals do you want from your dog? Mm. Is this a dog you want to take to um, a cafe on weekends and sit while you have a coffee with your friends? Is the dog that you want to take running when you do your 10K run every day? Um, is the dog you want to sit and play to your children in the backyard. And there are different breed types that suit different lifestyles. And so rather than just be about, about the two-year-old child, I'd probably ask the question of a listener is really... Uh, why Kelpie Cross? See, I wonder if as a mum, the mum's thinking I've got an active two-year-old. Oh, I know. Kelpies are active. Match made in heaven, which obviously is not the case. Yeah, and look, a a two-year-old child... So Kelpies are, uh, of all the breeds like the working dogs they watch body language all the time. Like, these guys are those Kelpies. Because Kelpies, you can get to do a direction from a distance because they've learnt hand controls, they've learnt that. And so when you selectively choose a working dog, you've got to remember that that mind is always on. It's always thinking. Um, And it also depends on what the cross is. Okay, so lots. the most common cross, obviously, is the Kelpie Border Collie Cross. Yes. Um, and there you've got a combination of two work dogs, so you've almost got work dog squared. So that can really mean that you've got a dog that really can't turn off and, and is always on. And that's great if you're putting that dog through agility or you're doing lots of things involved keeping that farm. mind turned on, or ideally if you have a farm. Mm. Um, I tend to suggest suburbia is tough on working dogs, if your lifestyle doesn't allow you to get that dog as, as much attention and switching its, its brain on as you can. We see a lot of Kelpies in trouble in suburbia because they generally get destructive or they bark. Okay. Lots of people will often say, oh, the Kelpie in the boy called next door to me barks all day or it's destroyed my fence or it's chewed my barbecue up. Um, and this is not just because they're naughty dogs. This is because they're bored, smart dogs. Yeah. And bored, smart dogs generally will become destructive or a new 
nuisance if they're not sort of treated in the right way. Well, they were bred to do something totally different. Correct. Rather than being in the backyard. Yeah, correct. So, <laughs> yeah. for the listener, really, I think the question she needs to ask herself is, what does she wish to get from this dog? Okay. If she's a runner and she wants to run 10Ks every day, she's got a good choice. Kelpies will run all day. But if she's got a dog that she wants to play with her two-year-old, look for a smaller, less active breed. Okay. One of the, the other things I wanted to mention uh, when Kath called about having the three dogs, mm. uh, a lot of people don't realise, oh, I've got two, what's three? I can manage three. What's one more? What's one more? And it's like two are, are friends, basically, but once you come three, it's the group mentality. Correct. The pack mentality. Mm. Yeah. And there's a lot of things you didn't think about that now all of a sudden are a problem. The hierarchy changes. Yeah, yeah. it does. And, and it's then you even, have it's two against just, one. That's and, right. It, yeah. the, the problem comes if the social dynamics are not good. If you've got three flatmates who all get along really well, you've got a really nice scenario. Um, if you've got three flatmates who fight for the kitchen or no one cleans up properly, then th- those sort of arguments that start to occur between them then can have sides being taken. Mm. And when it becomes a two-against-one scenario, it can be a very dangerous situation. Mm. So you're 100% correct, Daniel. I think if you're looking at doing a group situation, choose ages that are very variable and ideally even sizes of dog in that often if you get three dogs who end up being a very similar size, mm. no one looks scarier than the rest of mm. them. And so, therefore, if I am challenged to give that, that ball up, well, you know what, I'm the same size as you, so maybe I won't give that yeah. ball up. And then that sort of creates an issue. So if you've got a size difference, it often doesn't mean that the biggest dog always is going to win because often big dogs just go, you know what, you can keep your ball. Yeah. But it's really about if push came to shove, no one's going to give in as easily. If a little dog sort of says, I've, I've bluffed, it hasn't worked, that dog could really go me, I might back away. But if yeah. I'm the same size, okay. you know what? The odds are pretty 50-50. Maybe I will push this just that little bit further. That's interesting because I wouldn't have realised that that can be a good thing, having the different sizes Absolutely. until you If you've got a like mixed that. group, if you can have a mixed group of dogs of different sizes, you really reduce your risk of aggression quite substantially. I also do believe like expanding your dog household in multiple dogs is also you have to be very confident that you are the dominant dog. Mm, you're the top dog. So you're the top dog and they have respect for you and what you say goes. Okay. So that's that control aspect in that regard. <sighs> Great know, advice. To be able to break up or you know, any issue that might yeah. cause before it gets any worse. Okay. Yeah. Vicky, welcome. You're from Raymond Terrace and you've got a question for our vet, Dr Paul McCarthy, about your cat. Oh, hello. Yes, um, I have a seven-year-old domestic short hair cat called Charlie and I've noticed, I've had him for about five and a half years. He's up to date with everything, but I've noticed that when he's really calm and quiet and sort of relaxed, he has this little head bobbing thing. It's almost like a nervous tick. And I'm just wondering if that's something I should be concerned about. I mean, I've talked to my vet about it, but honestly, taking him to my vet's probably a bit pointless because as soon as he goes to the vet, he just sort of shuts down anyway. Sure. So, and, and lots of cats do certainly behaviour. Vicky at home is often very different to a to behaviour in a vet practice because it's yeah. a very unusual situation to be in. Yeah. Now, mm-hmm. is your cat asleep when the head bobbing is occurring? No, he's normally awake. Yep. Um, very occasionally, no. Actually, I don't think I've ever seen him do it when he's asleep. It's usually sort of um, if he's like cuddled up next to me or something like that. It, it's usually when he's really relaxed. Yep. He just does it just does it a few times my mum's noticed it a bit as well um and after that he's okay but it just seems to be sort of when he's sort of really really you know sort of 
you know, a really relaxed state yes. that he's sort of just a little bit of a head bob. Yeah, the likelihood um, is, Vicky, that this is probably just a normal behaviour, I would think. Most oh, neurological disease is worsened by often increased mental activity rather than less mental activity. Uh, okay. So when yep. you have um, a neurological situation where it's an uncontrolled tremor or a tick, for example, lots of these tremors are worsened by the brain being more switched on. So uh, okay. so being in a, a relaxed state is, is less likely for that to yep. be done. But oh, one of good. the simple things, and often what I ask clients to do for me, is that um, use your phone and video the behaviour and oh, then yeah. you can actually yep. show your vet the video. It, it, yep. it helps me enormously with behaviour at work because often what the, I see at work is a very different animal to what the owner yeah. sees at home. And having those sorts of videos can be a, a, a big help. Um, things to look for as far as neurological disease in cats are have a look um, when your cat's looking directly at you and see mm-hmm. if the eyes flicker. Now, in some breeds, it's very normal to have what's called nystagmus, which is just where the eyes flicker very slowly. But often yeah. cats who are having, say, balance issues or what we call vestibular issues, which could give you a head bob, um, mm. may have developed either a head tilt. So when the cat's looking at you, if, the, if one side of a head is tilted to more to the other, uh, to okay. one side, um, yeah. and certainly eyes flicking from one side to the other in a sort of a fairly quick motion called nystagmus, that can also be an indicator of central nervous system or balance issues. Okay. Okay, um, no, yeah, he's not so, doing any of that. <laughs> no, I think Vicky, this is probably a very normal behaviour. Oh, as your as your cats move into different sleep modes as well, um, some of those um, motor activities that are unconscious control can just be occurring just because of the fact that we've got the a cat moving into a different uh, mode mm. of, of mental uh, awareness. Mm. Yeah, a bit like us. So that sort of nodding off behaviour that people have when they're sitting, this could be a similar thing that's happened to your cat. So it sounds like Vicky's doing a great thing. The cat's just very content and in a world of relaxation. I think that's a very, very happy cat, Sarah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my goodness, it sounds good. It sounds really good. It's all going to Vicky's house. A calm zone for us all. Yeah, exactly. I think that's it for us today. We're just about out of time. Dr Paul, we've had some great callers today. We have, we have. And look, behaviour is always a very interesting thing to discuss. And if you have any questions about behaviour at, at any time, talk to your local vet because behaviour is often a really good indicator. If you get in there early, you can make a difference. If you leave it too long, it's hard to change those behaviours sometimes. And you want a harmonious household and, and it can really start with the pets. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.